appreciate you being on here again. Um, and like I was saying off recording, I really appreciated the fact that you did the episode in 2019 when no one was really listening and I didn't really have a track record. And I was honestly personally very afraid to reach out to people because right. I didn't really you know, necessarily believe it was an uncomfortable uh, position for me to be in. So I really, really appreciate that and um, appreciate you being here again. I'm not sure if I, you're, you're welcome, I'm glad to be here. I'm not sure if I shared this with you last time, but I remember wanting to meet with some people years ago when I was in my 20s and they told me no. And I always told myself if I ever became successful, I don't want to be that person. So that's one of the reasons why when, when young people reach out to me, I respond. And if I can fit something in my schedule, uh, my calendar, I'll definitely do it. That's amazing. And that sort of approach and the values that come with that approach, I see in everything you do, even when in, in your all your businesses, um, in in terms of giving back and partnering up with certain organizations to give back to people. Right. There's this selfless sort of underlying theme in everything you do. Where do you think that comes from? Well, um, a lot of it came from my experiences again during my 20s when I felt so often that failure felt normal. But I just I'm a big believer in that everything you do to and for another person, you do to and for yourself. So if I want a good life, I have to treat people the way I want my life to be. And so that's the reason why I, I approach everything that way, because it's, it's so important. Just, yeah, I think you alluded to the golden rule last time. Yes. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, yes. or something along the lines. Yes, and that's very important. The golden rule is very important, but a lot of people miss the, 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 the real meaning of the golden rule. And it's not, it's not so much the actions, although actions are very important. It's how you think toward others. It's it's how you think. I mean, your mind is the most powerful thing on earth, and, and how you use it and how you apply it is really what dictates your, your life at the end of the day. Right. Do any instances come to mind where you've had to apply that way of thinking and how that's turned out for you? Well, um, not off the top of my head. I mean, it may come to me later. Right. But it's just, um, I've just seen where, although my actions at the time may not have uh, uh, you know, resonated anything uh, to my benefit, but it's, it's the long term. It's the st you're really doing stuff today for tomorrow. The compounding sort yeah. of effect. And when it, like, there was a time where a banker wouldn't give me the time of day uh, because I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything to offer. But you still, you still uh, no matter what you're giving, you, you, you take care of it. And my first loan back in 1996 uh, was like $500,000 for the new construction of the Gringos in the port. And, um, and it was relatively easy to get at that point. But Prior to that, loans were very difficult. Access to capital is is the biggest challenge for most small businesses. Right. Today, um, I have to turn money down. People want to give me money. They want to. They want me to put their money to work. But I just can't take it just for the sake of taking it. And I will always care for other people's money and, and financial resources, even a lot more uh, careful than I would my own, because it's it's. I mean, you know, you, those those dollars are important, and I I would never want to ever compromise my reputation uh, with someone else's money ever. I mean, it's it's everything. Your your word and your actions are everything. Absolutely, um, these principles are really valuable, and they set young entrepreneurs up on a good foundation to conduct business and to be successful um, in this sort of modern context. It's all about 
how much money can we get from other people, what we can do with that money in, in, in order to make money for ourselves, um, and not really caring about you know, who gets hurt in the process or right. who doesn't necessarily benefit as much as they would have if they if they knew what you know what to do and, and, and all these things and there's almost a lack of a selfless approach in this day and age so how do you maneuver in the modern context do you surround yourself with people that have similar values or do you just instill those values onto other people that you're training like how do you maneuver it's a that? combination of both uh, obviously you want to attract like-minded people uh, but, uh, you know, every once in a while you'll have someone across your path that you, you just aren't a good uh, pair and you have, mm-hmm. to, you have to part ways. But, you know, there's a term, OPM, I'm sure you've heard of it, other people's money. And that's what people, they, they just love to gamble with other people's money, but you cannot do that. I mean, you have to respect their money and treat it better than you would your own, really, in the, at the end of the day. But, yeah, um, but anyway, uh, yes, go ahead. So how did you learn these values and these principles over the years? You mentioned failing a lot in your early 20s, and, but was there any other you know, uh, sort of ways that you were learning? Books, content, maybe a mentor, maybe meeting people? Obviously, your parents play a big role in, in the yeah. lot. And um, you know, my father, uh, watching his um, business practices, he, one of the things he always wanted to do is pay his bills. I mean, he just... Uh, no matter what it took, if, if it required him to sell something to pay his bills, but he always wanted to pay his bills. So uh, I guess I picked that up from him. But, um, you know, just uh, growing, growing up in an environment where you can see the differences of things that, that work well and, and also the things that don't work well and try to pay attention to the, to the positive things. Mm-hmm. That's all you can do. But my journey through my 20s, and, and my 20s were interesting because I didn't go to college. I didn't. I don't have a degree. Uh, fortunately, I was able to send my son to two Ivy League schools, and he works for me today. But he has uh, an MBA from Wharton, and also uh, he's an arch- licensed architect from from Yale University. But you know, I, I value their their knowledge, uh, everything he's learned. I just have to rely on professionals to get me where I need to go today. And, and just be wise enough to discern what, what works, what doesn't. But yeah, my 20s were interesting. Because um, like I said, in my early years, it was all about making money. And when, I, that, when that was my interest and my focus, I never made a penny in my life. And I just kept going broke here, there, and everywhere. And, and it wasn't until I had that, that paradigm shift where I said, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of failing. I'm tired of it. I need something it's not working my approach currently is not working so I need to change it and that's what I did and it was now more about the product I was serving uh, providing the, the, the value the atmosphere the people that were going to deliver it I consider our staff uh, our management team everyone that works for me uh, my most important and most valuable assets although they're not on the balance sheet they're they're the ones that make that balance sheet and yes. so I like to take care of them first and foremost and if I do Everything else falls in the line. Right. So you pretty much invented the concept of design thinking before it became popular. Because that's what they're teaching kids now is um, reinventing the process and, and, and focusing on the customer and putting love and empathy and all these things within the product as opposed to just making money and, 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 um, and just being profitable. There has to be a level of care. And, and the more companies that apply those principles the better it is for all of humanity 
And that's kind of also what the ESG approach is in a way, the social aspect of ESG, where you have to be mindful of the consequences of your actions and not just do things for the, the, the investors or the stockholders or right. people that are going to profit off of exactly. um, certain decisions. But if, we could, if you could pinpoint rather where that came from, was it um, observing your father or was it just going, know, through the, going through the process, doing things the wrong way that you tried this approach and it worked for you? Well, I really believe that every example of success and every example of failure is everywhere. I mean, you can literally Google it today. Whereas back in the 80s, we didn't have Google. We didn't have the Internet. Right. So you had to really just pay attention to the brands or the companies that stood out as being successful. And what you want to do basically is study them, study everything they do, everything they do right as well as what they do wrong, and, and find that point of difference where you can come in and carve out your own niche because you're going to be a little bit different in a, in, in, a, in a better way or a different way than what you're trying to compete against. But you, you have to you have to carve out, you have to have a point of difference before you can really go out into the marketplace. You have to know what, what it is, what you're going for. Exactly. So. What would you say your point of difference is then competing in a space where you, obviously you have competitors um, for, for um, gringos and Jimmy Chongos? How do you differentiate yourself and your brands? Well, there's, there's several ways. Um, first and foremost, our, our, you know, our product um, has to be of high quality. And you know, there's a saying in our industry where if you want to push a Mercedes out the front door, you can't bring in Chevrolet parts in the back. So our ingredients are very important. And several years ago, I had a, a kind of a shift in how I approached our ingredients. But bottom line is, if I won't, if I won't eat what we serve, I won't sell it. So every, every ingredient we look at, we, we, kind of, we take that into consideration. If I won't eat it, we won't sell it. And so I, I, was, I went to a meat market uh, or a meat processing plant in Pasadena years ago, and one of our competitors uh, apparently was using them to process some meat for them. And I remember walking by this, uh, this barrel. As they were giving us a tour of their facility, I walked by this industrial drum, and inside of it, uh, what looked like dog food, but what it was, it was a, it was a cereal filler. And this filler uh, is a way to reduce their cost. And I asked them, you know, what is this? And they said, oh, we add it to uh, the ground beef of so-and-so, this mm-hmm. restaurant. And, and what it does, for example, if we cook 100 pounds of ground beef, we will lose, let's say, 15% with cook-off. And, and our yield changes to whatever, 80-something pounds. And so with this filler does if you cook 100 pounds and let's say you add 10 pounds of it your yield now just shot up 10 percent so you're actually yielding more because this soaks up all the grease and all the fat so that's the approach a lot of businesses use they, they focus so much on their bottom line that they forget to focus on the top of the plate and that's where it happens if you do not focus there you will never have a bottom line i can guarantee you or it's not going to be the one you want and, you know, we, we, we've been very fortunate, but that's been our approach, and I think that's a major point of difference. And, of course, our people. Absolutely. Um, I'm just going to have to activate the lights again. Pardon the interruption. I'm just going to have to move, I guess. <laughs> motion censored. There you go. And we're back. Um, no, I definitely agree. And within that approach, uh, I'm sure you've noticed and you can speak to the effect of still being profitable, still making things work, and still being able to scale and innovate. Um, I'm 
not sure if that slows anything down those little margins those little percentages that you're missing out on um but you're still able to do things you're still well, able to be profitable yes and, because and volume in our industry solves a lot of lot of challenges yeah uh we have to have volume uh, our labor is more productive when you're busy uh so you know your competition may have better margins on their food but they don't have better margins on the labor because they don't have the same sales mm. so it's it, it's a truly a balancing act we try to exactly. focus on a 32 to 33 percent cost of goods um including our our paper which is about one one and a half percent and then our labor, it's anywhere from 25, 26%. So we try to have a, a prime cost of 60% or less. And so if we can work off a 40% gross profit margin, uh, we're on our way, especially if you're doing volume, especially if you're doing volume. Um, last time we spoke, you were in the process of opening up a new facility, I yeah. believe so, in Katy, if I'm not mistaken. No, I believe that, well, we were opening a uh, new Katy. New Caney? Yeah. Okay. And then uh, Katie uh, opened up last November, mm. and uh, we've um, we're doing extremely well. We have we broke ground for our, our College Station location next to Walk-Ons and Saltgrass. Amazing. And then after that location, we'll be going to um, uh, Conroe. Now, again, you know, getting back to the power of a philosophy, so. When, when I when my focus was no longer about making money and it was about mostly it was all about the product and service and, and the staff and value and anything we could do to, to improve the experience the guest experience um, you know we opened up on our first day we generated five hundred and eighty dollars worth of sales in our first year I think we finished the year with about four hundred and seventy five thousand and then the next year in ninety four we doubled it which still 900,000 a year is not very much. In the this is when you started originally. Well, yes, the yep. original Gringos in Pearland, which is still our number one volume store today. But this year we're tracking right at 134 million. We've gone up since the last time we spoke. And so every time we had a store, it's anywhere from eight to $10 million in revenue. So. That's beautiful. With all these stores, how do you maintain those principles and how do you maintain that level of quality? Um, is it in the hiring process? Is it in training? the the people that do the hiring for you to look for certain things how do you do that well training obviously is a major part of it what, what happens when you have a brand like ours now uh, the right people are attracted to it uh, the principles the, the culture so they, they they just automatically gravitate toward our company and we start uh, being able to pick the, the best of the best out there and we pay well and uh, we just want to keep the momentum going, but it is a it is a daily challenge because uh, of the fact that we deal uh, with two of the most you know sensitive areas or items in the world, pe uh, people and food, and mm -hmm. and they both need uh, to be constantly uh, focused on because you're only as good as your last meal in this industry. I mean, you, and, and a good example, I just got back from Mexico City this past Sunday, and I was there about a month ago. Which, by the way, they had an earthquake last night. Yeah, no, that's so, what I was going to say. You just yeah, escaped got out that. just in time. But uh, so we went to this restaurant called El Cardenal, which is the cardinal in Spanish. Um, and we had a fantastic meal. Uh, their pan dulce was something I'd never had before here in the States, although it's everywhere. And they just elevated their, uh, their product line to a different level. And... Um, 
and the carnitas they had were outstanding as well. So I took this this other party back, and everything was still real good, with the exception of the carnitas. They weren't the same. Mm. And so, obviously, consistency is so important in our industry. McDonald's produces probably one of the worst hamburgers in the world, but they produce it the same way every single time, no matter what city or country you're in. Right. So you got to give them kudos for that because Chick Fil A as well, well and and they taste better. Chick Fil A does a good job. Period. Um, I'm really good friends with the uh, the licensee operator here at uh, Kirby and Fifty Nine, and also he has one in uh, Myerland, but that's the number one store in the country. This well, one? Uh, yes. Wow. It, or it was. Prior to COVID, because part of his uh, 24, 25% of his business was outside sales because he has the concessions at Minute Maid, uh, uh, NRG, and a few other places. Right. But he's lost a lot of that, so I'm not sure where he's at now. Plus, he did a remote over here recently. Mm. Uh, yeah, they're a great company. And, you know, again, you just pay attention to what people do well and, and uh, try to mimic it with your own little spin. Absolutely. What's this time been like for you? since the pandemic started what's been the what uh this time been like the pandemic since uh, the pandemic started you know fortunately for us we're in a uh, the casual dining market uh, we serve a comfort food so when our dining rooms were shut down we lost 70 percent of our business overnight and so we had to really regroup and uh and really turn our restaurants into a curbside delivery and pickup uh business and they really did fantastic. I think we, we got back to 65, 70% uh, of our volume and then uh, close to 80. And it just started uh, tricking up uh, to where we were almost even year over year prior to our dining rooms being opened up 100%. But re- what really saved us too was the alcohol uh, uh, laws changed to where they allowed uh, margaritas to go. And that was a yeah. game changer. We were selling a lot of gallons and half gallons of pints of margaritas to go yeah so that definitely helped oh tremendously yeah i think within the first month we sold well over a million dollars worth of margaritas <laughs> it, it was it was insane and and the biggest challenge was and we had we had some team members that were that's all they focused on was trying to procure packaging material because that was in short supply if you can imagine every restaurant in houston is now all to go right i, I hate to see the landfills right now they believe <laughs> they had to be a mess uh, Brutal. With all that extra paper and foil and everything else that's out there what's your perspective on on the whole situation like overall on the pandemic the, on the pandemic Whether the vaccines mask um, mandates well i'm not an anti-vaxxer at all uh, i have not been vaccinated yet i do plan on getting it uh, i was just waiting for more data and, and you know because as you should and, and they're studying it uh yeah. they're um uh you know there's uh my wife did get it, and she's had no issue with it. She got the Pfizer. And so, um, but yeah, um, the pandemic, obviously, uh, I know government had to do what they had to do based on what information they've, they've been given by the CDC and all and the, and the WHO organization. But, you know, I, I don't know how effective a lot of the measures were. I mean, yeah. You know, I think a lot of it's false security, a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they have to have something that's standardized so they can implement it nationwide in some cases. So um, you know, I don't, I don't point the finger at anyone. Uh, there are a lot of people put in tough uh, positions to, to make tough decisions for for everyone. So yeah, no, you know, I- you know the, the beauty of rules changing as long as it applies to everyone. 
the game's the same. It's just a matter of adjusting. Yeah. Also a matter of who chooses to follow because we see a lot of people kind of being outspoken about not following certain measures and feeling like it's restrictive or, um, you know, it's just, it goes against the principles and the foundations of what this country was built on. But it is what it is. I mean, I don't even speak on these things. I just wanted to hear your perspective. Yeah. And um, I know I mentioned no, over, over the DMs. I'm uh, not an extremist uh, in any way, shape, or form when it comes right. to that. I, I do know some people real close to me that, I mean, they believe 9-11 was an inside job and that the no planes hit the building and all that. So I just let them live in their little world and their own mind. But, no, uh, you know, it just, it's, 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 it's tough. It's tough. All right. Anyway, let's move on from this. Um, let's talk about some of the challenges. Last time we spoke about the challenges and you talked about, um, you know, your early 20s and, and even starting, um, uh, I believe, in 94, uh, how that sort of went for you. But what are some, some of the current challenges, minus the pandemic, post-pandemic, let's call it? Well, we still have our own challenges with labor, but not nearly as bad as some of our competitors. And, and again, it goes back to that we still have uh, an attractive business model that people want to come work for. And then we did some things recently that I think are game changers. Um, uh, so the, the federal minimum wage, so there's a federal minimum wage and then there's a federal minimum wage for tipped employees. And so I'm going to speak on the tipped employees because the federal minimum wage is seven and a quarter, but no one, you couldn't find someone um, if you found someone to work for twenty seven twenty five, they're probably not breathing. Yeah. So, you know, uh, wages have been forced up automatic automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 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 tipped employees have the the rate currently for the federal minimum wage for tipped employees is two thirteen an hour, which is shameful. It hasn't been hasn't been increased in thirty thirty one years almost. So. We, I was seeing where, you know, we have servers that have been with us in excess of 10 years, and, and then we'll have a new hire come on board, and they're making the same identical 213 an hour. And so it didn't seem right. That part didn't seem right. So what we did, we started, we increased wages uh, from the time they're hired, and then they get increases every year for the first three, four years. And then they, at, the six, at year six, they go to $10 an hour. Now, it's still not a high wage in terms of hourly wage, but when you consider that although the tipped employee has not received a raise in 31 years, so to speak, mm-hmm. they have their income has increased gradually over the years because of inflation. Yeah. Uh, menu prices have constantly gone up. So that's where they make their money, they, anywhere from 15 to 20 you know, plus percent on every tab. So they do well in that sense. But now that they're some of our servers, not some, but a lot now, are making uh, ten dollars an hour, working forty hours a week. They have their house payment or part a good chunk of their house payment made, and servers usually have always looked at um, their checks, payroll checks, as just gas money, because really they it's the tips they work off of. Right. So. No, absolutely. And my next question was going to be, what keeps you uh, driven and motivated? But you know, I'm sure watching other people be able to pay their bills and achieve their dreams is, is, a, is a contributing factor. That and then all the uh, things we do for our, not just our team member, but our, our uh, for the community as well. Uh, this, this hurricane that hit Louisiana, I'm good friends with a talk show host, and our mutual friend owns uh, Texas Transistor, and it's a 
fuel delivery company. So you may see their blue trucks around Houston. Mm-hmm. And his market is also Louisiana. So um, we were going to deliver non-perishable food items and water and all that kind of stuff. But I knew a lot of people were going to do that anyway. So I said, you know, let's find something a little bit larger that we could do that, that uh, would be beneficial. So what we did, we, we partnered with uh, my friend that has TTE and Michael Berry, uh, the talk show host, and we're delivering four tank loads of fuel to give away uh, there in Louisiana. And it's, it's four tank loads, and each load's about $25,000. So we did basically a $100,000 contribution toward this effort. And, and, you know, depending on how things go, we can maybe do more. But we tried to spread it around as, as, as best we can. Um, today I just approved uh, additional dental work for one of our team members that um, that was in need of it. We've done probably 25 plus full complete dental makeovers for people that had extreme needs. And so it's when you do things like this and other staff sees it, it it's, it's just, you know, who else does that? No one. No one right. that I know of. No one that I know of that actually has the means to do so. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we do, we do focus on the ones that deliver our product and services because we know we take care of them. They'll take care of the guests, and everyone will be happy, hopefully. Do you think your early 20s contributed to the lack of ego that you have and, and the oh, humility yeah. that oh, you yeah. carry um, yourself with? Yes, uh, you know, success, for one, success is a terrible teacher because it gives you the illusion that you can do no wrong, that you're invincible. And so failure early on in my life was very important and helped set the stage for me to be prepared to be where I'm at today. Because I can tell you right now, had you picked me up from day one when we opened up in in 93, January 11th of 93, and when I stood there waiting for that very first car to pull in the parking lot, had you picked me up and dropped me into the future, I would have thought I was hallucinating because never in my mind did I imagine that I would one day own a, a, a corporate jet, uh, fly all around the world, uh, get to experience the life that I get to experience. And, and although it's great, you, you still can only do so much with your time and, and money. And, and I don't, uh, I'm not a jewelry guy and, and um, I'm not really even a car guy. I own one vehicle. It's a very nice vehicle. It's a AMG S65, the mm-hmm. V12. But that's it. I only have one. I don't have a garage full. Uh, I don't have motorcycles. Uh, I have one house. I have one wife. So, you know, I, the, your joy, I think, in life is not going to come from materialism, but really impacting the lives of other people. And Absolutely. that's what we do, and that's what I get my most enjoyment from. And that's a beautiful thing to hear. Um, but I feel like we lack that in this day and age. And everybody from young to older, everybody wants to flex on other people. Everybody wants to have the nicer car, the bigger house, the more attractive spouse, let's call her partner, whatever. It's always like it's a competition and, and everyone's trying to climb the hierarchy. How do you avoid that? Well, uh, if, you fall in, if anyone falls into that trap by defining themselves through the eyes of other people, it's, it's over. That's, and I see it. I had a, a, someone come to my office one day, and this, this young man was in late 20s. He's broke, and he pulls up in this Mercedes E-Class, I believe. And I told him, that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. You're broke, and you, you, you're driving something you cannot afford. Why would you do that to yourself? But they have, people get lost in that image of trying to be something they're not to other people. 
And it goes back to that saying, you know, don't spend money you don't have to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't like. Right. And that's what people do all the time. And, and, and that competition level goes on even with successful people. There are, there are people that, um, that are just competing because they, for whatever reason. But really, your, your competition should be yourself. You should be a better version of yourself each and every day. And that's all you should be focused on period you know yeah i definitely agree um that's also part of why this podcast is called the flex coach because i was having these similar conversations with uh my friends and i was just paying attention to the same sort of thing where i'm noticing people do certain things out of their means to impress people they don't even know and it just commenting on that um kind of resulted in this being called the flex coach but it's i've always been fascinated by that and I'm curious to hear your perspective on why you think that competitive sort of need to impress and, and one-up each other exists. I just think people want to uh, identify with something. And unfortunately, they, they believe it's material, materialism. Mm. And that's, that's just a trap. And, and it's because we're very visual, uh, a very visual society. I mean, we're, we're, be, we're being bombarded with all kinds of ads and we see all kinds of things and and so that we perceive that as being reality when, in fact, it's not. Um, I, you know, when when I went broke, um, I remember returning a vehicle, a Ford Bronco, to the dealership because I could no longer afford the four hundred twenty dollars ninety one cent payment. I remember that payment because it was hard to make, but I returned it. I, I it wasn't beneath me to readjust my life to to basically, you know, I'm. You're down, but you're not out, and it's important that um, you know you 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 run your your house the way you're supposed to, which is live within your means. And so I remember returning that vehicle, and I remember turning around, looking at it, thinking to myself, "Okay, I'm down, but I'm I'm not out. Uh, there's going to be more opportunities in, in front of me." But yeah, um, I lost my house at, uh, to foreclosure at age 26 or 25, and. Uh, and now I just built a new house in West Jude and no debt on it. I paid it cash, and, and that's the way I like to live. Personally, I like to live zero debt, personally. Business debt's different. It's all about the balance sheet. Right. And I don't like a lot of debt. Uh, my son, uh, who's a Wharton MBA grad, um, he sees things a little differently. Um, you know, when it comes to debt, he's more comfortable with it. Mm. Uh, I am only to a degree, and, you know, in our business, it's, it's about all businesses really it's about cash flow yeah absolutely you gotta have strong cash flow going back to the internal nature of your of your mind when you have to return that car or when your house is foreclosed how do you maintain that level of self-belief how how are you not deterred by the emotional response that those situations generate well which I'm sure you are. I'm not downplaying the effects of that. But. No, well, I do remember when I was working at El Toro in Laporte, I'd gone to this uh, banquet, this luncheon, and the company that catered it um, was very professional, did a great job from, from the buffet line to the plating of the tables to the staff uniforms. And so I, I must have been, I don't know, 23 at the time, and I remember walking up to the lady who owned the company. She may have been in her late 30s, early 40s. And uh, I complimented the whole, the whole thing they were doing. And she, um, she found out that I was also in the restaurant business at the time working at El Toro Laporte. And she, um, she asked me, so do you all do catering? 
And I don't remember exactly what I said to her, mm-hmm. but she stopped me mid-sentence and said, you know what? If you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. And it was literally like she took a two-by-four and hit me upside the head because she was right. If you cannot believe in yourself first, you're not going anywhere. You have to have confidence, self-confidence, because uh, uh, it starts there to, to even begin the journey. And so you believe in yourself. You know, what, whatever you learn, whatever you know, uh, you know, just believe in yourself and keep moving. That's all you can do. Yeah. I feel like that's an active process, though, especially when life throws all these things at you, situations, variables of life. You actively have to remind yourself that it is possible or I can do it. But that almost comes from a constant or intermittent sort of consumption of content or material or conversations with people that reignite that sort of belief within you. So in your journey, um, that lady certainly um, contributed, but how were you actively maintaining that? Or was it just through your action? Well, you know, um, I I guess one of the things, again, when, when I was prior to Gringo's uh, and, and all the failures I experienced. When I changed my approach uh, and, and changed my focus, there was a time, because we opened in January of 93. By May of 93, that month we may have done 50,000 for the month. Um, I remember, and it started climbing incrementally, but it was still, it was just better than I had expected. I remember, okay, I th- or thinking to myself, okay, I may have figured this thing out. And it is about consistency. It is about quality. It is about value, uh, about um, cleanliness, um, you know, your people. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, in our business, we deal so much with the senses, uh, the sense of taste, obviously, the sense of smell, the sight, what you hear, what you touch and feel. So all these things are important in our industry, and, and it's one of the hardest businesses to make money at, and, and for good reason, because you're trying to uh, tap into what people are going to like and flavor profiles and portions and price point and just so many factors. And then to think that, in my case, I have 2,500-plus team members working for me. I am only successful if they do their job. That's the only reason I'm successful. So. How do you do that? that that's, that's the tricky part of this business, and especially if you want to grow. There's a lot of single unit operators that do a great job with one unit. They may do okay with two, but once you hit that third and fourth, everything changes. And that's why a lot of them just can't get beyond that. It's, it's because at the end of the day, we're a people business. And like Herb Kelleher said with Southwest Airlines, the business of business is people yesterday, today, and forever. And um, so your focus has to be your people at the end of the day. Yeah. everything about them he was um he's an absolute legend uh someone showed me a video or a commercial of his we started rapping yeah and this was back in the day like that was a big deal for him to be doing that oh yeah yeah he, he definitely um did things outside the box for sure yeah. and he was also people-centric he used his own product yep. he flew on his own product yep. which is i think a testament to the level of quality and and you know his belief in what he was doing which is the same thing you said if you're not going to eat it like you wouldn't want to serve it right um what are some other people that have sort of inspired you or that you've taken uh, some elements or lessons from well when uh i was when i started el matador tortilla factory in the late 80s actually the early 80s but 
we didn't expand the factory till the late 80s. Um, I called on a lot of restaurants to buy the product, the tortilla products, and it's the chips that you get at the table, basically. And a lot of them wouldn't buy from me because uh, what I refer to as guilt by association. They knew our family had restaurants, so they said, well, we're, you know, we won't buy from you because you're you know, a competitor. And so there was a couple of restaurants that did buy from me, and I'm forever grateful, but one of them was Larry Forehand, the founder of Casa Olay. And so Larry uh, gave me a shot, gave me a chance. But uh, as far as the brands out there that influenced me, his did to a degree. Um, one of the things they did was they, they pre-packed all their spices uh, for taco meat, everything, uh, salsa, mm-hmm. queso, rice, you name it. And so we use that today. All our spices are pre-packed, and that's how we maintain consistency from location to location, batch to batch. And so Larry uh, did that. And something else he, uh, he did uh, whenever he would mail checks, because we did sell product for a time being, whenever uh, he would mail checks, all the checks would come in at different, for each location was a different color check. I mean, it's not a big deal, but, but it's something that I applied in our business. So every one of our restaurants, their checks are different, a different color, yellow, white, blue, whatever. Not white, but yellow, blue, right. red, or whatever, pink. Um, and then... Um, what else do we do? Um, and of course, uh, Pappas, uh, they were probably the major influence in my life because I remember seeing them in the early 80s. I was very young and they had a location on Interstate 10 and they um, called it the Pappas Seafood House and they were doing fantastic. And so I was working with my dad and we had a location on Interstate 10 at Mercury Road. It never did well at all. And they were across the street down the road near Federal and they were doing fantastic with the seafood restaurant. I was just trying to figure out, you know, what is it? Why are they busy? You know, why aren't we busy? Why are they busy? So I thought, you know, they, one of the things they had on their building was this beautiful awning that went all around the building. And I figured, hey, let's put an awning on our building. Maybe that'll help drive traffic. And I remember working with their company, actually owned the awning company that we actually ended up buying one from. It was a sister, uh, Vicky, uh, Vicky Pappas. So after they, they, she made the awning for our building, um, um, she told me that her brothers were opening up another Mexican re- or opening up a Mexican restaurant on uh, Richmond, and uh, I remember telling her, "Hey, tell her to, uh, tell them to come out and, and we'll uh, visit. Um, they can visit our restaurant, see whatever." But anyway, it was, Pap- it was the original Papacitos on Richmond, in 1983, when they opened. Gotcha. So, uh, but what, what I've always admired about uh, Pappas is their systems. Uh, they have really great systems. And one of the one of the most important things in our business is basically basically having in our in our kitchen having uh, a designated air, uh, uh, spot or area for every single thing you have. You cannot leave it for your staff to know where this goes or that goes. It has to have an assigned home. Gotcha. Otherwise, you have total chaos in, in yeah. the kitchens, and there's no consistency for location location. Right, that makes sense. Having order and and just being efficient with everything. Um, I did want to close this out by talking about relationships. What do you think are some of the elements that contribute to maintaining relationships and, and, and successful relationships with people? Well, for one, there has to be a high level of trust and respect and transparency and, of course, integrity. I mean, it's all the elements that, that people hear about, but they don't understand really how important they really mm-hmm. are. 
you know, at the end of the day, your reputation, the most valuable thing you'll ever own in your entire life, you better take care of it because the world has gotten a lot smaller with, with, uh, with social media and word travels. And I remember just recently, um, this gentleman wanted me to invest in this, uh, this uh, spirit company he's developing. And I won't mention the city because they'll know who it is. But anyway, and I just called one guy that was a mutual friend of ours and asked him, hey, uh, so-and-so is asking me to invest. And he basically said, don't do it. He just said, don't do it. Um, and that's all I need to hear. So, again, I'm still friends with that guy. I'll still shake his hand, talk to him. But, you know, when it comes, your reputation follows you. That's all I can tell you. And, and be careful with it because it's, it's very fragile. It's, it's hard to get and easy to lose. Absolutely. Uh, it's been a pleasure, sir. Please right. let the people know where they can reach you. And anything uh, well, else. I'm, on, I'm on all the social media platforms. I'm on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and uh, Instagram. You may have to send a request, a friend request on Instagram, but uh, my everything's public on Facebook and Twitter, of course, is public as well. Yeah.